Okay, here we are again. Welcome to It's New Orleans live today from the Collins Hotel on St. Charles Avenue in New Orleans, 3811 St. Charles Avenue at the historic Collins Hotel, playing the piano, Mitch Foreman. Mitch. How you doing? Welcome back to It's New Orleans. Where were you? I was actually in Toronto. Beautiful Just, Toronto. You, now, last time I, I told everybody that you were working on an, uh, a Bollywood movie in Canada. Is that true, or did you just make that up? No, it's absolutely true. It was. It's kind of like the. Uh, it's Mighty Ducks three replace the Mighty Ducks with an Indian team, and you wow. get this movie. Okay, Mighty Ducks three goes Bollywood. Okay. Something like that, yeah. Well, that's pretty exciting. Okay, our special guest this uh, this edition of It's New Orleans, uh, Reverend Ray Kanata. Uh, Reverend Dr. Ray Kanata, actually, originally from New York City, is the pastor at Redeemer Presbyterian Church on St. Charles Avenue, just up the street from here, actually. How many blocks away is it, Ray? Uh, we're looking at uh, 24 blocks, yeah. 24 blocks? Did 24 you, blocks. Did you walk here? No, I did not. Ah, uh, well, we'll get on to that in a moment. Sell out, yeah. No, yeah. But you do far. walk all over the place. Yeah. Ray is a graduate from Princeton University. He's also a food lover and star of the upcoming documentary called The Man Who Ate New Orleans. So we have a little bit to talk about on those subjects. Our other guest is Nick Reed from Littleton, Colorado, who describes himself as a healer, spiritual intellectual, a transcendentalist, a mystic, a naturalist, a revolutionary, a messenger, God's devotee and servant, and a pioneer of love. Unfortunately, he didn't include Navigator in that, and so Nick is stuck downtown on a streetcar somewhere, but is allegedly on his way here, which is going to be interesting because I believe that he's 18 years old, and you're not legally allowed in a bar, are you? You know, with all those things, he should be able to fly here, I think. (laughs) He should. He really should. He lacks a superpower, it sounds like. (laughs) Well, hopefully he'll show up in, in, in moments and we'll be able to slot him into the show. There's plenty of room for him to sit down here at the Collins Hotel and our little... Um, Alcove and our other guest who did make it is Anne Asprodite. He's from Uptown New Orleans. Anne was born and raised in New Orleans, correct, Anne? That is correct. And let me just see if I can get a level on you. There we go. Um, I, I asked you something about yourself and uh, for this interview, and you told me that you spent your underage years drinking at Ye Old College Inn and the Wino Window you know, I, at F and M's. I'm really concerned the fact that you out of the entire page that I wrote, you picked out those two line items. <laughs> um, <laughs> Knowing me like you do, I, um, yeah. Where you in New Orleans, where you drank underage, noted what neighborhood you you grew up in and what high school you went to. But people in other cities didn't <laughs> didn't true. go to bars in in high school. Oh. Like young Nick Reed, who's on his way here now. <laughs> I, I assume doesn't hang out in bars, which is why he didn't know where the Collins Hotel was. But when you were in high school, it was commonplace to go drinking in bars. Absolutely, you would you would. There were certain bars that allowed, allowed, yes. looked away at underage, underage drinking, and you could drive up in your car, so this even gets better, and they would have car service at College Inn, which meant you lived uptown, Lenfins if you lived in Metairie, the Rockery if you lived in Lakeview, so you would have car service if you were underage, as opposed to going in the bar and drinking. <laughs> you mean you could sit in your car mm-hmm. and drink. Mm-hmm. Now, what is the definition of a wino window? The wino window, F&M patio, was not what it is now. It was a big, empty hallway, a hall, big, empty hall, where they had great bands, and you would dance to your feet were nubs. And across the street from the, the big hall 
was where F&M is now, which is a bar. At that time, they just had a little window, and huh. you could leave the dance hall, go to your window, order your drinks underage, and go back to the dance hall. Huh. I'd have, I've heard other people describe that as a nigger window. I would never say that. I've heard that described as that, though. Is that what it was because black people, because of segregation, no. you weren't allowed in the bar if you were black? I was just underage. <laughs> I, to me, it was a wino window. You never heard the term? Ever. 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 And you are born and raised here? Ever, ever. Ray, how many years have you been here? Four years? Five years. Five yeah. years. Have yeah. you ever heard that term? Never heard that term. Never heard that but term. But it interests me. I, I believe that was because those windows existed in bars, especially uptown in New Orleans, because of segregation. Well, maybe it was both. It might, be, it might not be mutually exclusive, right? You could, you be, could be it black could be or underage. Black or underage, you went to the window, everybody right, else went right, to the Right, right, right. Exactly, exactly. It was, just, it was very inclusive. You could be <laughs> underage and black. <laughs> <laughs> then you're really in trouble. And I knew those kids, yeah. <laughs> they were with uh, me, too. Who was hanging out out there with who you? Who was hanging out? Oh, my God. All my neighbors, the, the kids I grew up with. We and what did your every... parents do when you said, I'm going out for the evening and we're going to go hang out the wino window and, you know, and drink alcohol? Um, I, I think they just... Close their eyes and bit their nails. Did they do the same <laughs> thing? Did they grow up in your in New Orleans? Your parents? No, my dad did. My my mom was from New York. Ah. yeah. And did your dad, who grew up here, do the same thing? Was he? Yeah, I think that it wasn't off of his radar either. Uh, yeah, I think that it was. He was. It was within his comfort zone. Wait, you didn't grow up with wino windows? Kids, well, kids, when you grew up in New York, right? They didn't. They didn't go drinking in high school. No, and I was in the suburbs by the high school too, so that was even worse. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was, yeah, it was People's Republic of New Jersey by that point. <laughs> right. And, uh, yeah. and, you, and you came Everything's to, a felony there, everything. You came to New Orleans right after Hurricane Katrina. Tell us the story about how you got to be here. Uh, you want the short version probably, right? Well, medium. Medium version, okay. I don't know if I can do medium version or anything, but yeah, I was, <laughs> I was on a sabbatical working on my dissertation. I had a month off. And uh, I was, um, it was only because I had a month off probably that I went. I really looked at the interview, job interview, more as like a paid vacation, you know? Right. Down so I got them to pay to fly my family down to look at this uh, little church plant in Uptown. And the pastor decided to leave, and I came down to look at it. And it was a week before Katrina. My wife's family's from here originally. She's a Forche, you know, a Forche High School and all that. Mm-hmm. And her, you know, her dad had moved out a little bit before she was born. So, um, and she'd been a few times, so I was, always, I was always intrigued by New Orleans, never thought I'd end up here, so came down, absolutely fell in love with the place, um, but I didn't have a moment's rest the whole weekend to be able to talk to my wife about it, they never left us alone, you know, we'd stay out till two in the morning, and then we'd come back, and we'd sit on their couch and talk to the people about it until we fell asleep, and so I never had a chance to talk to her, so I was nervous when we got back to the airport, I was trying to figure out how to talk her into letting me come back for a second interview. Right. And she was really nervous because she was trying to figure out how to talk me into coming back for a second interview. <laughs> so that was a really nice uh, surprise. So uh, I, I, uh, we had a second interview scheduled for the day of Katrina. Wow. And like a jackass, you know, I, I, uh, I called the airport to cancel my flight. You know, no one answered the phone. But, uh, you know, so we ended up coming anyway. And it was, you, didn't, you obviously didn't come on the day that Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans. No, it took a little so long. The, the, the presbytery wanted to shut the church down, and they, they, were, they were right. They had good reason to. How many people but, were left in the community before? After well, it was, the, a, it was a small church to begin with. It was, that was one of the things. It was about 40 or 50 people, and then it, it became 17 after the storm. So, so I was leaving a you know, medium-sized, um, affluent, middle-class you know, thing. We just built our first building and all that stuff. And got a job offer to go to San Diego right in the middle of that. Turned that down the day before I found out if I could come to New Orleans or not. And uh, so, you, you know, so you decided to come to New Orleans yeah. after the hurricane when the church that you would right. have been coming to, which would have been affluent and a nice church uptown, had been 
its community decimated and reduced to 17 people. Right, right. You decided to come here anyway instead of San Diego. Right, yeah, the San Diego thing, I would have been, it would have been really happy. It's great. San Diego's a great place for some people. Yeah, it's I mean, got the beach. Wonderful, it's yeah. Lovely. But it's for me, I think Mexico. I would have been bored to death in about 30 seconds, and I'd be, yeah, I'd be, you know, drinking uh, Drano right now or whatever. But <laughs> I was going to say whatever bridge it is to jump off of, but they have bridges. They don't have any water in San Diego other than the ocean. Well, they right? have an ocean. I don't know yeah. what you could jump off the Coronado. I think yeah. there's a bridge there, maybe. Okay. Um, anyway, so yeah, so we came, and you know, the rest what, of the but what made now. you decide to come to New Orleans after it had been destroyed like that? Eighty percent of it had been destroyed. There was nobody right. was living here. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if I would have come without that. Um, it's hard, it's hard to know. I mean, I was excited about it, but I got really excited after coming down and looking at the place in October. I got down the first week of October, and we had the passes to get through the checkpoints and all that, right. and drove around, looked at the decimation, and it just didn't, you know, I just couldn't, I could not come. I mean, it was just. My heart really went out. But, I mean, the thing about it was it was like this great mix of heaven and hell. You know, I think of everything in theological terms, right? It's my business. And I looked at New Orleans, and it's like, this is the most hellish place I've ever seen in my life. At the same place, the most he- at the same time, the most heavenly place I'd ever seen. What, well, the hell is easy to understand because it had been destroyed by the wrath of God, basically. Yeah, well, it was hellish what before, was, too. Let's, what let's was face the, it. What was, ways, was it? Well, you know, you had, you had, you know, highest murder rate in the country, all the poverty, the racism, the whatever. I mean, a lot of things before. And then... Um, yeah, but, th- but you want to know what happened? Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, read the Bible. When they describe oh, heaven, I haven't got time for that. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, I hear that, I hear that once in a while. Just watch the movie. Right. But, uh, <laughs> but, you know how it ends. <laughs> yeah. It ends in New Orleans, I was basically. Gonna, I thought it ends <laughs> in devastation. There's a picture of the city of God, and if I want to pick a place in America that looks the most like that, it's New Orleans. Are we talking about the end of days when it was all destroyed, <laughs> or are we talking about heaven? No, no, heaven looks like New Orleans. I, I, I can make a big, long argument now about this. Now, you actually stuff. have a Ph.D. in divinity, and you're an ordained minister. Yeah, well, I mean, and I you're just, telling me that I heaven can, looks like New Orleans. I can still be Orleans. full of crap, but I mean, I'll, you know. <laughs> but, but this is a professional opinion. This is not a drunk. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I, I can say this when I'm drunk, too. But, I mean, and it gets more interesting that way. But really, the, the, you know, the thing is, heaven's a place. Jesus, when he's talking about heaven all the time, he's trying to give people a picture. It's hard for them to understand, relate to it. He talks about being a party, and he does it at parties, right? They accuse him of being a drunkard because he's going to so many parties. First, first miracle he does is to turn water into wine okay. by the bucket and bucket full of it, uh, you know, right, at, right at, uh, uh, at a party where they've run out. They've been already drinking for days, you know? So, I mean, <laughs> oh, my God, okay. you've got a point. Yeah, no. You know, the Bible says you shouldn't, for example, you know, be, be you know, a drunkard, right? Drinking too much is... Does it is, say it, that? I have to take your word for it. There's a couple like of verses the in there that say you shouldn't, you shouldn't overdo it, right? But for every verse that says you shouldn't overdo it, there's at least eight or ten that say that command you, say you need to drink more. You know? can, you, can you quote chapter verse from, from the Bible? Like some, <laughs> I, you, want, you want me to send this to you? I can send no, you no, 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 I'm interested to see if you can do it right Far here. Far be it for here. me to like get on... Well, I mean, for example, I mean, the biggest thing is like Jesus gives you a meal, right? And says, okay, here's the thing that's going to be like the ritual that every church and every denomination, every place is always going to use forever, right? And the center of it's a cup. You know, it's wine, right? Over and over again in the Old Testament, it says, like, it says that a symbol of, of joy. Well, Jesus was not in the Old Testament. No, no. Well, yeah, I think he might be. But, you know, Is he? that's another point. But oh, don't get me on this. You don't want to talk about this stuff. This is not what your <laughs> listeners want to okay, hear about. Okay, okay. I'm trying to keep it, like, you know. I keep it about New, New Orleans. Orleans. I'm trying to figure out how New Orleans got to be. Okay, I'll, I'll give you some more. I'll get off the drinking thing for a second. I <laughs> no, want to make no, it all about that. No, you stick with drinking. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. What are you drinking over there, by the way? Oh, this is... Is it a, just water? Yeah, this isn't very heavenly. This so is seltzer. Say, okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean... No, I mean, you know... So, I mean, I think celebration and joy, right? Is And, and New Orleans is the place. The other thing is, like, New Orleans is the place, like, the pain capital of America, right? Pain. Pain capital of America, don't you P-A-I-N. think? P-A-I-N. 
Don't you think? Do I not think that? Well, I have never thought about that in my mur- life. Murder rate of 220 per 100,000 at one point. Now it's back down to 80 per 100,000, 70, right. twice what Detroit is, right? Uh, 25% of the city still blighted five years later. 48,000 homes still unlivable. Um, you know, uh, worst public education system in the country until very recently. You know, it's getting much better, but you know, I'm waiting that. for I'm waiting for the Bronze heaven. A bit. Well, I mean, but here's the thing, right? In the midst of all that, this is the celebration capital of the country, right? right? Well, isn't that just I mean, blinding ourselves to reality? It can be that, which for is some why people. we love it. But is that that's is that why it's godly? not heaven itself? It's only an echo of heaven. <laughs> no, I, I'm going to say I'm going to say I think that New Orleans. Can I just yeah, jump yeah, in? Yeah, I definitely. think that New Orleans is one of the most mystical, and I'm from here. Yeah. I am very lucky. I get to travel for a living. I I get to go to a lot of places this is the most mystical place i've ever oh, been yeah. i truly believe that that you don't really know what's behind every door you really <laughs> don't you think you might but you don't um i i still am constantly surprised when i open a door when yeah. you I and mean, even from the very mundane going through the french quarter and peeking in the passageways in, into the gorgeous courtyards and this it's like finding a little surprise like an easter egg oh my god how beautiful but it's also just even in any part of the city you see something that's so extraordinary a detail or or yeah. no there are no 90 degree angles here yeah, that's you know? right that's right uh, and i think growing nice. up here you 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 believe in mysticism. You believe, yeah. and if mysticism is spirituality, I'm not sure. But I do know that I believe that I don't know. Right, and right. From, and that's what I get from growing up here. You believe that you don't know what? I believe that I'm not. I, I'm not sure of anything that I know. That there's a huh. there's a there's a mystery. That there truly is a mystery yeah. from growing right. up here. And that permeates every part of your existence. Yes, that you I can't be totally. sure about anything anymore. Oh, not, absolutely not. But <laughs> yeah. I, know, I think there's wonderful parts of that because, I mean, what it means is like that everything is, is bigger than it seems, more complicated than it seems. And New Orleans understands that. The suburbs is, is so artificial because the suburbs and, you know, cities become more su- – New York's much more suburban than it was when I, when I was a little kid, you know? Mm-hmm. Everything there is on a 90-degree angle. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Everything yeah, yeah. is. Yeah. There's 120 McDonald's on the island of, of, of Manhattan. That's all you need to know. That's all you need to know about the city right there. But, I mean, you know, and, 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 yeah, I mean, that's horrifying, isn't it? There's, like, four in New Orleans. Well, how many, well how many million people live in New York it City? It doesn't matter. I did per capita. It's, like, 10 to 1. Trust me. It's it's, it's There's awful. more McDonald's in Manhattan yeah. per capita than there are. That's the most depressing thing I've ever heard. I know, it's, not, it's not horrible. That's how I measure a bad city. Go, go to Houston and see how many McDonald's oh, you see. Well, yeah. That's all you need to know. How many so, per capita are there in Houston? Have you uh, done the math on this? I, you know, I have it somewhere at home. I stay up late and <laughs> to this. Yeah. Okay. I should have brought this with me. You, you didn't tell me you were going to ask me this. I didn't realize well, hey, you were going to Let me round a couple more heavenly qualities. Yes. I didn't want to just make it all about that. Community. This is a place of more social capital than yes. any place in the country. Uh, that makes it more heavenly. It's all about, you know, C.S. Lewis has this thing about heaven. And basically, it keeps spreading out. hell keeps spreading out territorially because nobody can hang out with anybody else. There's a bus that's going to take you on a day trip. It's called The Great Divorce. There's a bus that's going to take you on a it's day trip. It's called The Great Divorce. The Great Divorce. Yeah. Wonderful piece of literature. And uh, there's a bus trip one day that, that the people in hell get to take up to heaven. And almost nobody gets on the bus because they can't stand to be online with each other, you know? <laughs> they can't be near each other, Right. Sartre was wrong. It's the opposite. From a biblical standpoint, Sartre's wrong. It's the opposite. Hell is not other people. Heaven's other people. Hell is no people, you know? And New Orleans, everybody's in everybody's face. And I love that about the place. And we fight and you argue, whatever. But everybody's there and everybody's face. There's no privacy here. I was amazed when I drove around. There was no curtains on the windows. They left them open all the time, you know? Yes, that's I mean, true. It's just stunning. That is so true. It's stunning. And I've always known every one of my neighbors. I, we hang yeah. out with our neighbors. We argue with our neighbors. You're my neighbor. No, I'm, I'm one of your neighbors, actually. <laughs> so, I, I own a house eight years in Jersey, and I, and I, only, I can only name one of my neighbors after eight years. Where do you years. live now? I live on uh, corner Henry Clay Magazine. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yellow yeah. House. You know, oh, everybody yeah, yeah. knows all the houses, I know that right? House. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and within a week, I knew every neighbor on my block, you know? And it's like, I mean, it's crazy. 
The other thing about New Orleans is it's inclusive, right? For all the kookiness in New Orleans, it's such an idiosyncratic culture, right? It's so bizarre. It takes a lifetime, a couple lifetimes to try to figure out what it's all about, and you never figure it out, right? And in the midst of all that, yet, it's, it's, so, it's so welcoming. I mean, you know, I'm here two years, and I'm president of the Neighborhood Association already. You know, does that, like mean, does you know, that mean that I mean, like, everyone's welcoming when nobody wants to do it except you? <laughs> <laughs> well, it could be. I was wondering, no. But no. Uh, you are right. We are no, no. totally inclusive. In- and we want inclusive. you to come over to our house before Mardi Gras. Right. And we want, you to, to, we want you to have a drink with us. Right, right, right. Absolutely. Oh, I saw that Halloween, the first Halloween. Halloween was dead in New Jersey, right? In New York, same thing. Dead, dead, dead. Because everybody's afraid someone's going to put a razor blade in somebody's apple or whatever. You know, whatever it is, right? Nobody does it. You take the kids to your friend's house and that's it by nobody car nobody does it nobody does nobody it. actually puts the razor blades in there nobody does saying? it it's all an urban no, no. legend anyway down here i, I you know we every house it. is like over the top and then we start walking around you, you notice this in new orleans it's the only place in the country that does it you guys are just used to it so it's the air you breathe but i got news for you no one else does this you know the, the idea of like parents dressing up in costumes and hanging out on their porch and like giving wine to people as they come around i mean i got drunk like the second <laughs> block trick-or-treating that doesn't happen anywhere else you know no, I have that's been, like heaven that's I heaven have been in the village. Okay. i have been in I'm the, in join your in the village okay, for halloween okay well, you're, well you're picking outrageous. the best neighborhood oh, in manhattan that by was far, a, though. amazing yeah, 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 experience yeah. and we got stuck in the subway with everybody in costume and it was like mardi gras on, on bourbon street inching along inching along yeah, yeah. it was a wonderful i love yeah, yeah. new york too oh, new york's great new york's wonderful great, experience okay shall we have a listen to some jazz since we're talking about new orleans that's the one aspect we haven't delved into yet Mitch Foreman. Yes, sir. How are you guys? Are, are you, I was wondering if you'd fallen asleep here. for a minute. No, 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 no. I've been enjoying the conversation. <laughs> okay. Are you, have you got anything lined up to play for us? Well, you know what? It's, uh, I, I was thinking it's, we're close to the holidays. Why not go with the Christmas song by Mel Torme? Oh, uh, yes. Okay, Mitch. All right. Here we go. Okay, Mitch, thank you very much. Thank you. Merry Mel Christmas. Tomei. Did you ever meet Mel Tomei? I did, actually. I, got, I was fortunate enough to play. I got to play at uh, Carnegie Hall with Mel Tomei. Wow. It was a co- concert what? with Mel Tomei, George Shearing, and Jerry Mulligan. The oh, my year, God. 
a long, long time ago. But I think a record recently came out of that concert. So it did. What well, was it? It was it a, a Christmas record? Do you think? No, or I just don't think a we show. Played. It was just a show. It was like. Uh, so, but George Shearing is a piano player, isn't he? George Shearing is a piano player. Yeah. So you did you play with Mel Tom- as a, as Mel Tomei's piano player on that show? I think I played a song with Mel Tomei. I was mostly there. I played with Jerry Mulligan, and oh, okay. was the, and they, it was like those three were the stars of the show, and I got to play a couple songs. Well, that must have been an interesting evening. It was, uh, if I could remember it. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you're still here, whereas poor, poor <laughs> Mel is gone. Here. No, it was a long time ago. Yeah. The Velvet Fog. I don't know if you know that was the Velvet name. Fog. Yeah. Yeah. He was great. Can you hear the Christmas music here at the columns in the background? I do. I hear a little, little going Some on. Some sort of carols or something. I don't know how we can isolate all that the sound. But anyway, Ray's checking his email. So while he's doing that, I wanted to ask you something, Anne. Yes. Who have you got email from, Ray? Anybody good? Uh, it's the neighborhood thing. There's a big fuss uh, about one of the buildings. What's going on with one of the buildings? I don't know if I want to be talking about this on the radio. Well, we don't know. Well, are you sure? Uh, I don't know. Can I get sued for that? Or no, something? nobody. We only have three listeners, basically. <laughs> so, so don't worry about that. What, what is the neighborhood like? The neighborhood's great. This is uptown neighborhood where you live. And the, yeah. Well, and one up- of the things is I don't need a car. I got rid of my car. What is the neighborhood actually called? This so neighborhood? Our neighborhood association is Audubon Riverside Neighborhood Association. Hey, so as the president of the homeowner, is it called a homeowner's association? No, well, it's also business, too. There's 110 businesses in the right. association, too. Would you like a drink? <laughs> yes. Uh, no, Are you drinking anything? And you're not no, drinking today. No, I, Have no. a drink on the it's oh. New Orleans or we'll buy you around. Oh, God, I can't believe I'm turning that down, but um, it's... It's a holiday week. It's a Monday after a holiday weekend. Yeah, it is a Monday, actually. <laughs> I'm going to decline. You guys oh. Why don't you surprise me with what, like, whatever your favorite drink is? Okay. Okay. Well, that's in a, good, yeah. uh, a good way to go. I've never gone wrong with that. Once or twice I've had mediocre drinks at, at right. worst. What's yeah, the uh, what's the what's the, the uh, legal, not legal thing, what's the religious thing about drinking and being a pastor of a church? Oh, nothing. If you're no Presbyterian, problem. if you're a Baptist, is a problem because they don't. You know, they, they, it's interesting because I mean, there's never been a teetotaling Christian until like 1880. That's like the first one, right? You know, well, what was that? That was Baptists, that... and that was Baptists. Baptists and Methodists started. Did Baptists, Ma- Baptists, only... Baptists, Methodists dropped out of it. Baptists have been carrying it. I've stuck with uh, the yeah, non-drinking. Yeah. Methodists yeah, yeah. couldn't sustain it, right? So, yeah. <laughs> what, they got smart. Real right, I think this right, is right. a this is probably a different conversation, but and and I hate to even ask this, but what is the difference between Baptist, Presby- Presbyterian, and Methodist? You really want to know that? Not particularly, but just I can't. I've known you for a while. I can't imagine I, you really just, want to know that. I just thought it was sort of in sort of general. I've never known the difference either. I need to. know. Are you kidding me? Between you want a whole religious landscape you want oh, all this stuff i, mean, I knew i as i asked that question like that? cliff notes the cliff note version yeah no, that's way too complicated i don't know i mean presbyterians uh were were, were scottish originally that came, so that came presbyterian from. came first before baptist and methodist uh before about yeah presbyterians uh, right the meaning of reformation 1500s uh methodist was a movement out of anglicans renewal movement in the 1700s oh, anglicans I so what's the about. method the method was they, they that's good and that's where the name came from the method was they had these bible studies these little bible studies and they were going to be more holy and they were going to keep each other accountable in these bible studies that's what happened isn't okay. that a, and that isn't, was Wesley isn't, what is, isn't it a system of contraception also no that's the yes. rhythm method. that's the method oh, the that's rhythm the method. That's, a, that's a different <laughs> religion I think sorry <laughs> talking of which Anne I wanted to ask you a question <laughs> Thanks, Ray. That was great. That was great, great. Great. Thanks for like, killing, killing your show. No, yeah. no, talking about the rhythm method, and I wonder. Oh, that's, I love that's, that that's segue. There's something else in, in in your bio that you sent me here that said uh, you, I used to make out 
at Audubon Park fanorking the flamingos. So what you would do growing up in New Orleans, which I have told you before, is the most mystical city in the, in the country. Yeah. Oh, here's a drink. You, <laughs> yeah. you would, first of all, you go to the dance hall and dance until you're totally covered in sweat. Then you would go get your slow gin and coke, yum. You would huh. go to Audubon Park, and at that time, the zoo, you could drive through the zoo. And if you drove through... At night? At night. When it wasn't open? When it, Hang on a sec. What drink? Hey, come over here and get on the microphone what did for they a get? second. First of all, what's your uh, name? This is a Sazerac. I was going to say, it looks, it looks like, like a Sazerac. Sazerac. Yeah. yeah. Can't go wrong with that. No, you can't. Did Especially you, not here. Did you make it? Oh, I did not. I just bring them to the customers. Do you like, the, you. Do you like the Sazerac? Um, it's, it's good. Yeah, it looks it's one of the signature drinks. Oh, yeah. it looks lovely. It smells even better than it looks. Good, I love the smell. Good for you. Well, we should put the recipe for Sazerac on the website today, actually. Because oh. that's something that if you don't come from here, that's a real New Orleans drink. Yeah. Well, you know, the cocktail was invented oh. in New Orleans, right? It you was. Know that. It's it a was. French word. The, the Sazerac was. No, all no, no. cocktails. All the cocktails. cocktail itself. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you, I've given you my list before of all the things invented in New Orleans that they don't get credit for. Because it's the humblest city in America, another way that's, that's King the Morian. Right? I love how you spin everything into, like, the positive. Not yeah. not the most disorganized and, and hopeless, but, but the humblest. So that's why there's no list. There's no list because New Orleans invents all the stuff, and then the rest of the country will try to take credit. New York will try to – L.A., for example, try to take credit for stuff they never did, right? It all becomes about that. I don't know. That but it's, it's a fact. All. I don't know, but, yo, you got listeners Motion in Los pictures. Angeles or something. <laughs> well, they don't, they don't get mad at you. They'll just get mad at me. But, but New Orleans, for example, let me just rattle a few of it. First movie theater in America, right? It's now the Voodoo Mart on Canal Street. Okay, I didn't know that. <laughs> That's one of my dreams to turn that into a vintage movie theater. Only show movies that were shot like like Pretty Baby right there. That, that was shot, shot here at the here. Columns Hotel. The Columns Hotel. 850 movies have been shot in New Orleans, supposedly. That, 850? That. Yes, that's what they say. And, yes, um, very good. Okay, and, like, I don't uh, believe it. 1896 uh, was the first movie theater in America. There was a movie shown in New York a month earlier, but there was no theater for it. It was just shown in a right. thing. Um, let's see. Uh, I mean, just go down the list. Um, uh, dice games, craps were uh, was brought here by uh, you know Baron de, uh, or uh, what's his name uh, Bernard de Marigny. The first um, apartment buildings that were engineered by a woman. By woman. Yep. Now I want to redeem myself a little bit because we stopped at the word Fenork. And I need to complete this thought oh, because otherwise I'm oh, yeah, going yeah. to be I'll be just lost in okay. Okay. You would drive through the park and at the end of the driveway The zoo you said the zoo, actually. Well the park the zoo was in the park and at the end of this road were the flamingos. And at night they would be asleep and they'd be standing on one leg with their heads under their wings. So what you would do is turn off your lights and you creep towards the flamingos. This is you get out of your car. At no, this point. you're in the car. The you're flamingos standing. are loose? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're so in the car driving towards driving Flamingos. Towards, well, there's a, and a, you're a like moat. 15 years there's, old and you're drinking gin. Slow gin. Slow gin. So nobody tried to, keep, to kidnap the Flamingos and bring them home? All we like did, that? I'm going to tell you what Fnorking yeah. is. What Fnorking <laughs> is, is you creep up, you turn on the lights, slam on your horn, and all the Flamingos <laughs> fall over. It's sort of like cow punching, but with Flamingos. Wow. And that was they Fnorking. They fall over. They would fall over, and that was called Fnorking. Look at the now, look on Ray's face. that is not as interesting, mind f- you, as the first movie theater, but it no, was... that's way part, more interesting. It I was part of the fabric of my youth, so... Yeah, see, these things are all symptoms of, this, of the deeper seed of New Orleans, and it's all just manifestations of the same thing. This place is just freaking nuts. <laughs> Everything about this place, you have to be nuts to, like, be a, a pioneer, right? So you, you would grow up. You go on your first date, and you'd fnork on your first date. Really? Was oh, there, yeah. oh, there, was there like, uh, like twist to it? Like there are no. different ways, just all no. the same method? No, it was the same fnork <laughs> okay. all the time. <laughs> okay. And would the guy come and pick you up, or would the guy pick you up at the bar where you were drinking well, no, at no, the wine window? No, no, you'd have a date. You'd have a date, and you'd go to yeah, the Yeah, would the date pick you up at your house? Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. It was very civilized. 
And, um, <laughs> and, and of course, you meet my mom and meet my dad. And this, and guy's in high sc- this guy's in high school, too. Well, of course. Out of course. You're of course. in high school and he's in high school. Yes. He's got his dad's car or yes. his mom's car or something. Yeah, yeah. He comes and picks you up at your house. Uh-huh. He meets your parents. Oh, yeah. That, we, we all knew each other. We uh, all okay, grew up together. Okay. Yeah. And, and your parents know the guy's taking you out to a bar to be drinking on the sidewalk outside the so-called wino window. I'm not sure if I included that detail at that time. You wouldn't come home sober from these no, experiences, No, no, sure. no, no, no. And where no. would you have sex with this guy? Well, I, I didn't because I was such a good girl. I would fanork, but that's it. That was the wildest thing you did. Worse. Was, <laughs> that sounds worse. That sounds worse. Nobody's banging each other in the backseat no, of, of were, Dad's uh, car. No, there were six of us in the car. I mean, it was... Oh, well, now there's six people in the were, car. There's a, a whole different... There was a lot of people. Yeah, you know, you don't fnork alone. So it's fnorking <laughs> flamingos is a group event for human beings, not just flamingos. Then. Exactly, yeah. Okay, so no one... Do they get back up again? Well, yes, of course. <laughs> okay. And they didn't get used to it over the years and... I don't know that they have a, a lot of retention, flamingos. Flamingos. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I thought that's how animals learned things. I thought that's how species evolved. They, these did not evolve. Well, yeah, evolution <laughs> takes generations, though, you know, I think. Well, there probably were generations of you people doing that, I suppose. Yeah. Anyway, so nobody's, nobody's having sex at all in this no. era. What, what years was this? I, I, can t- I can tell you that. Hold on. Oh, let me think. 60, oh God. In the 60s. 64, 65. Well, isn't this, have we we hit the sort of um, sexual revolution from 64, 65 yet in the rest of the country? Probably the rest of the country doesn't apply to New Orleans though. There's a separate separate rules here. So in the 96, in the mid 60s. I'm not going to betray any of my friends. Well, we didn't. (laughs) But in the mid 60s, you were going on dates with people in uh, in drinking in high school, but nobody was, nobody was banging each other at all. Nobody got pregnant in high school. I'm sure it happened, but but I was just for norking. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> did you eat out much? Oh, we ate out all the time. Growing up in New Orleans, you always ate out. And did you come to the Collins Hotel here at, on St. Charles no, Avenue? No, this was a wreck, although I had a friend of mine who lived <laughs> here when he was in high school because his parents kicked him out, and he lived at why, why did his parents kick him out? Oh, that's a whole, You know, I really don't know, but Fenorking. he did wear the same... Fenorking. Not norking, he, he wore the same leather pants every day. It was very odd, but he lived in the Collins Hotel, and that was very exotic to us in high school. Okay, hang on a second. The guy gets kicked out of home by his parents and moves into the Collins Hotel uh-huh. where we are now, which is absolutely beautiful here. Absolutely gorgeous, but it wasn't then. It wasn't so gorgeous It was very then. derelict. Very and derelict. why would the guy yeah. be living in the column in a hotel? It was a residential got... hotel then. So you could get a long-term room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What happened to that guy? You know, I don't know, but now you've got me interested. Well, he's probably on Facebook, <laughs> I would I'm imagine, sure. like the rest of us. His name is Mitch Landrew. <laughs> <laughs> so I, w- I brought up eating out because yeah. I, I wanted to talk to, to you about eating out at restaurants. How often would you eat out when you were a kid? Uh, I guess we ate out as a child at least once a week, maybe twice. Right. And now I think we eat out twice, three times a week. You eat as, a, as, as, a, as, a, as, an, as adult. an adult who has to make their own food. Right. You eat out two or three times a week. Right. How many times a, day, a week would you eat out? How many times a uh, week? Let's see. There are three meals a day. <laughs> seven. <laughs> 24 probably because I think I'd eat, you know, I'd double up on a few. You have two lunches yeah. or two dinners sometimes? <laughs> like a hobbit. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Drive uh, to ser- look like one. Seriously though, how many meals do you eat out a week? Uh, or, or a day even so. Uh, yeah, I mean, probably on the average, yeah, like 15 or so. I mean, Are you talking 15. about lunch, too? Because I was just yeah. thinking dinner. Yeah, yeah. Well, I then, was you know just what? saying dinner. Yeah, you know what? I skipped breakfast a lot. Let me revise that number. Okay, so we're really looking at 14 major meals. Okay, I'm thinking 12, you 11. 12 out of 14 meals a week out. Yeah, probably. Yeah. 
which is how you've come to eat it. How many restaurants have you eaten at? 645, I think. In yeah. five years. Yeah. I bow. That you've been here. Well, I know. Well, my fifth year anniversary will be this week. For the how many year anniversary? Five year anniversary. Five year anniversary of, 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 of sheer gluttony. Of sheer gluttony. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I like to think that I'm eating responsibly because, let me tell you this, my cholesterol, I put on 40 pounds when I got here in the 40. first year. I, lost, four- I then lost the 40. Right. You know, so I'm about the same. I'm just a little chunky like I got here. But, uh, but I'll tell you what, my cholesterol went down 80 points. How did you do it? Uh, I think just because it's all natural ingredients here. I think you're, my theory is I mean, butter, I'm not a doctor, cream. but, but yeah, you're better off eating fresh butter and fresh cream than nitrates at Applebee's, you know, which okay. is what I ended well, up doing I do a lot agree of, with that, but how did you, know? you put on the first 40 pounds? Oh, well, I overdid. I ate too much of it. I mean, you can't you, say you can't. You ate more than. Here's what happened: years. I would eat until I was in pain, and then you see another <laughs> incredibly beautiful dish that you can't turn down. And you right. see your friend is eating, and you eat off of their plate too, and then you get something, you get dessert, and you can't stop because it's and so as a, good. As a, it's a typical Norlinian. You are planning your next meal while you're in the throes right, of yeah, your yeah. first meal. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So where are we going for tomorrow night? Where are we going for? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Where are we going to go for dessert? But yeah, there's yeah. a lot of people who come to New Orleans. Now I just eat till I'm full. There's and, a lot of people who I'm, come and, to and New Orleans who fall in love with New Orleans, who move here and think it's wonderful because of the music or the food. Right. And they don't make, uh, well, that's a polite way of saying this. They don't make an obsession out of, <laughs> out of eating at every restaurant in New Orleans. What, what made you decide well, to do that? It didn't start out as a gimmick. It wasn't like I got here and said, I'm going to eat at every restaurant in New Orleans. I, right. I, you know, my job, I'm eating out with people all the time, and I'm hanging you're, out with You're a it's, pastor of a church. Know, I don't do anything. I work half a day, right? So the rest of it is all just not real. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm eating out with people. I mean, that's pretty much what I'm doing is I'm talking to people. Is and that really? I mean, I'm not, I'm, I've never been a member of a church. Is that, okay. what, is that your job? You're supposed to hang out with people and eat meals with them. Well, I think so I might join good pastors up. are yeah, supposed I'm to. Of, yeah. I've seen a career change for me. I, I, work, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I work Tuesday to Sunday. I work six-day a week. That's the normal schedule. I've Tuesday to Sunday years. is that six days. Okay. Yeah. And then I, and Monday's off. Today's my day off, right? And then, yeah. uh, uh, so what are you doing today just to have no lunch? No, today I hang out with my family more. But, you have but, lunch with them? Yeah, I have lunch with them. So, I, had, I went to Suri's right before this, and I had the greatest egg sandwich in history. You, the, I can write that down. The greatest egg sandwich in history. I think so. Today, I think probably. How many yeah. days would you say that? Do you say that often? Like I had the greatest. Oh yeah, I feel that way yet. every meal, and I'm sincere about it. But you know, until the next one. But I mean, you know, and that's the thing. I made a, I made a, you know, I made a punch list after eating 645 plates. I have nine to go, but they keep yeah. opening about three new ones a week. So, uh, so I got to eat like, like four a week in order to four new places a week in order to make progress, right? So are you going to give it a, like a cutoff point one day, saying, okay, this is I've eaten at all the restaurants that were open the day I started this? Uh, yeah, I would, except for that wouldn't be any fun, would it? Like I, you know, I kind of like. It. I mean, I think now, like I'm not going to be able to stop. The, the film people <laughs> made me stop because they wanted to film so it they'd want right. to finish they so this is a film let's talk about the film for a second okay. just in, yeah. in, because someone obviously discovered that you were doing this eating right, at all right, these right. all these restaurants and decided to make a documentary yeah. about it called it's called the man who ate new orleans the man who ate new orleans right morgan sporlock is one of the producers and john ah, Kearns. he's the, the guy who did supersize me supersize yeah. me which is inspirational for me it, 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 <laughs> it really was well no because i mean i ate fa- i never ate fast food growing up where i grew up i never and in princeton there was no there's no fast food in princeton i never had any fast food until 1997 Really, I mean, what, you know, what day? Uh, I'm not sure, but when I probably when I moved to where I moved to, until I moved to Hillsborough, New Jersey, and, was it lunch or dinner? Uh, or did you skip breakfast? <laughs> but I but I got to a point where I went to a drive-through, and I'm on a friend. With my, I'm, I'm on the phone with my buddy from Brooklyn, who used to tease me all the time about living in the suburbs. And I happened to be on the phone with him. And as I'm on the phone with him, as I pull up to drive-through, I was about to order a KFC, and and the guy says, "Okay, pull up. That'll be 482." And he recognized my car. That's how often on a highway. That's how often I've been going to that KFC. It was like a special sandwich I got, you know. Wow. And okay. uh, 
And, and at that point, I knew something was wrong. And then I saw Super Size Me and it changed my life. But anyway, yeah, John Kearns is a producer on it, too. He's a James Beer Award winner. And um, Come and sit. Hey, look. Wow. So this is an exciting movie. Hey. Well, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's not going to be two hours of me eating, that's for sure. It's really more about celebration and community and all this other about grace, right. forgiveness, all these other things that New Orleans kind of majors oh, in. Oh, really? So it's and not the, about, food is it's just, not, the food is just sort of a hook to, it's not to a, illustrate it. It's not about gluttony at all. Well, I mean, it depends on how you define gluttony. But I mean, I got to interview. Well, I, I got so far. I got to interview Leah Chase it. about civil rights. That was kind of fun. Sat down with right. her. I, I hung out in uh, Tuba Phil's living room and talked to him about Rebirth Brass Band, and uh, got to uh, have a meal for three hours with, Tor- with um, Tory McPhail at Commanders, and talked to him about food and. And, uh, you know, he likes to use local ingredients. He grows a lot of the food and the herbs they use there. He grows right. in his house, and they grow at the restaurant. Uh, John Currents, I got to talk to about rebuilding uh, Willie Mae's Scotch House. Right. Um, you know, so kind of it's, thing, so, so this is all in the movie. Yeah, it's all which is, the movie, But it's centered, about, it's centered on basically eating a huge amount of food. A lot, a lot of eating. Food. Yeah, yeah. A lot lots of food and lots in lots it. Lots of eating, so yeah. we've been joined now by Nick Reed. Nick, hey, welcome to It's New Orleans. Thanks for making it. Thanks for having me. Sorry, I'm a little what, late. What happened to you? Where were you? holidays, you know, Shopping downtown for my family. <laughs> I say you believe in you believe in Christmas, even though you're Krishna. you're a Hare you're a Krishna. Do we call you a Hare Krishna or a Krishna? Well, technically, I'm a Vaishnava. What does that technically mean? It means we worship Vishnu or Krishna. Vishnu or Krishna—that's the same thing. It's the same same person. Okay. Same person. What does that word mean, Vaishnava? Vaishnava. Well, it means uh, we Worshiper worship of Vishnu. Vishnu. Who is a close expansion of Krishna? It's essentially the same person. Okay. But, you know, so, what are you buying expansion. for Christmas? Christmas, uh, well, all, all kinds of little knickknacks for my family. They're all getting a Bhagavad Gita. Um, That's free. I got one of those free on the street. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, bracelets, things they like, you know, the Beatles right. stuff, you know. Where do they look? Beatles stuff? Beatles. My, my, my uncle's a musician. He loves the Beatles. Where are you getting the money George from? Harrison. Well, I work. You do? What do you do? Well, odd jobs, basically. I've been working for my mom, you know. She owns several, yeah. several properties, so I fix them up, you know. Ah, okay. Here in New Orleans? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, Are you, but you're not from here, right? No, I'm from Colorado. But your mom is here too. Yes, she moved here five months ago, six months ago. And she's already buying properties, so things are pretty good. Yeah, well, she's she's used to that. She's in the real estate business. That's what she does, really. She just moved here five months ago, and she's buying properties all over nice. town in the real estate. Yeah. I love your mom. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> me too. Yeah. <laughs> and what are you doing? You like fix stuff up and handyman stuff. Exactly. Hey, listen, I was, I'm so glad you made it because I was reading your, your bio here that, that you sent me, and, uh, and I wanted to ask you about some of these things. Mm-hmm. It says, I don't know which one we should start with. We've been talking about gluttony. This is Ray Kanata, by the way. Ray's we a should. reverend. It He's sounds like a bad joke, like uh, the, the Hare Krishna, the minister, and the Jew walk into yeah. a college bar. <laughs> <laughs> and this is Anne Espertides. I'm the Jew. Hi. Jew. <laughs> <laughs> nice to meet you. <laughs> I'm Jewish, too. Huh? I'm oh. Jewish, too. <laughs> you are, too. Yeah, there you go. That there makes you, you Jewish, technically. I'm Grant, by the way. Nick, pleased to meet you. So listen, Nick, anyway, uh, thank God you didn't make it because we were really getting down a bad road here. Oh, no. We need to steer things back on the day. straight and narrow. So where will, we, where will we start with you? Because I want, we, can, we can do this another day as well because we're going to run out of time here. We'll never get through all this. Which one should we start with? A healer, spiritual intellectual, transcendentalist, Mystic, stop me when you want to start with one. Naturalist, which I thought was a person who well, walked around like with that I like transcendentalist, clothes. personally. Let's start with transcendentalist. Well, transcendental means, you know, very powerful and outside ordinary experience. So every day I chant this uh, mantra, which is like a prayer. It's called the Maha Mantra. I chant it 1,728 times a day. How many times have you done it so far today? Uh, I've done about half of them, so whatever Do you want to do a couple now while, you, while we're here? <laughs> sure. Try and go, catch go, up. It goes Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. 
Hari Rama, Hari Rama, 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 Hari Hari. Essentially, it means I love you, God. I love you, God. I love you, God. I love you, God. Please let me love you more, God. Okay, and how many? How do you count them? Do you have a counter? I, I've counted like a mala they're, called, they're called japa mala beads. Yeah. Okay. So it's like a sort of rosary for Krishna. Right, rosary for Krishna. And where are we up to? It's got 1,728. Well, here, here's like my counters, you know. Oh, it looks like did I've done a little more than that. Did oh. you move one? What, which each one of those is a thou- is like 100 or something? 108. 108? Yeah. Oh, because that's a mystical... 108 <laughs> it's is an auspicious sort of, number, yeah. What does 108 come from? Uh, I'm, I'm not too sure. Okay. Okay, well, we got off the whole thing anyway about transcendentalism. Transcendentalism, yeah, yeah. Very, very powerful. You know, these words, uh, Hare Krishna... Krishna, Rama, all these words are very transcendental, powerful words. You know, they have spiritual uh, aspects to them. You know, the material, not all material things have spiritual aspects, but spiritual aspects have material aspects. So these words, you know, they sound material, Hare Krishna, Rama, but they also have a very spiritual side to them. Do you so have they, to believe it? or No, you, no, you don't have to believe it. So we could all just do it right now and say Hare Krishna, or Yes, and everybody would benefit. Yes. And what would happen to us? You'd be more spiritualized. But how would, it, would we feel better or would we, you know, win the lottery or what happens? Maybe not, you know, right away, but it, it cleanses the heart, the heart center, you know. So, uh, so after, you know, an extended period of time of, of, of chanting any one of God's names, you know, they're, they're all powerful. You know, not just Krishna or Rama, you know. Uh, so getting to know God and chanting his names, you know, cleanses the heart and, and establishes a, a relationship. Is your mom a Krishna no. devotee as well? No, no, I'm the only one in my family. So how old are you? 18. And are you allowed in a bar like this at the Collins Hotel? or what's Probably not. Strictly <laughs> not. How did, you, how did you start chanting Hare Krishna and become a member? How did I start? Well, how I, did you, what got you into it? Well, I saw a bunch of Vaishnavas down on the 16th Street Mall in downtown Denver, you know, and they were chanting, and it just grabbed my attention. You know, I didn't know what they were doing, but I had to know. So I went and, you know, uh, investigated at the temple there. And so I, you know, was so like, you were what drawn, are you guys doing? You were drawn to those guys on the street chanting with the tambourine. Right, right, right. Most people run away from that. They're a bunch of freaks. But you were drawn to them. Yes. What, did you finish high school? I got my GED. Yeah. And you didn't go to college. You're not thinking about going to college. Oh, I'm definitely thinking about it. You are definitely thinking about going to college. Yeah. Are you going to go to college? I don't know. <laughs> What's going to make the decision for you? Krishna. <laughs> I mean, how will that come into your head? Oh, he's ranging everything, you know. He's the supreme controller. If it's, for, if it's meant to happen, it'll happen. Okay. Ray, how did you get started going to divinity school? Did you hear the word of God? Uh, yeah, maybe a little different. Yeah, I was, uh, I, you know, I'd been, I'd been a seeker for a while. I'd been uh, exploring a lot of different things. I think I'd been very close to, uh, to, to uh, ending up a Christian, but I ended up you know, exploring a lot of different religions and doing a lot of different things. I grew up in a family that was very church-going. Um, so, I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I had a car accident. I was on the couch for a summer and I couldn't really do much anything it hurt my head to watch TV so I put my head through a windshield so I wow. but I could listen to tapes so somebody sent me some sermon tapes and I listened to 250 of them in a summer 250 then, sermons yeah yeah that's you know it, it becomes more interesting when you can't do anything else right and, <laughs> <laughs> do you think that would that happen to you like for some divine purpose or was it just a freak accident uh, I mean it was at the end of the day I can look back and say it was a very very good thing that I had my car accident yeah I mean, but do you believe in person. that sort of thing do you believe in the yeah, no, divine I, guidance. Oh, for, for sure. Yeah, definitely do. So, I mean, I, you know, I think uh, God. I mean, you can look at New Orleans in a big way, and you know, we deal with a lot of heartbroken people rebuilding houses. You know, our church has worked on 400 homes so far in the city, and we we deal with a lot of heartbreak, big, big and small. And I can say, not to be insensitive to that heartbreak, but to say that in the totality of it, 
New Orleans is in a lot of ways blessed by what happened to Katrina, right? It's in, in a better place than it was before the storm in its totality, you know? And Unless you're uh, one of the people who uh, lost their houses or... Right, and even some of those people, I can, tell, I, can tell, I can tell you some people that say that losing their house was ended up being something that was terrible at the time but ended up being a blessing to them. It got them out of a bad situation. What or, about the people that drowned? Know? Yeah, that's really hard. And, you know, and I but know there's hard. a lot of heartbreak, and I'm not saying... God's the author of all that. He's, I don't think that's true. But on the other hand, I can say that those things are, you know, he works through those things to, to um, redeem them and bring some good out of bad. And there's, you know, can, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of good that came out of can bad. Can good come out of your own death? Um, yeah, I mean, this is, wow, that's kind of a hard thing to say. But yeah, I think, I think uh, yeah, I mean, I can think of, um, yeah, I mean, for example, you know, it was a good thing that Hitler died. You know, it was a good thing that Pol Pot died. <laughs> You know, I think we say yes. Good yeah, came good out of for that. The other people, but not for the, you know that not for them. What about good coming out of your own? Yeah, death? yeah well, you know, I would say this. Death. I would say Hitler was his own worst enemy, right? He was living a destructive life where every moment was hurting himself. He was, much a, as vi- hurting he was a vegetarian, I believe. Though. Yeah, I'm sure he had good aspects to him too. But uh, <laughs> he was a very you know, good dancer, and I'm a Hitler to other people too, probably. You know, in some I ways, maybe not, you know. I mean, you know, there. Good. I have an issue with something that I'm barging in. Good, yeah, I'm not ahead. the moderator. So I find it interesting both of you um, give up control to God. Right. And to me, that's abdication of your humanism. Right. I, I don't believe that God... I, I don't put my eggs in that basket. I'm not going to say right. I don't believe in God, but I don't believe in abdicating being a good person or doing, right. a, a doing to, uh, tomorrow better than you did today or trying harder or having responsibility leaving that to God or my belief in God, I have to believe that that comes from each one of us. Well, you're the one who yeah. believes in mystery. I believe in mystery. Where does the I, mystery come from? Mystery's all around it. Mystery is beautiful. It's just the it world. Doesn't, the mystic There's doesn't come do from with, God. No. Nothing comes from God. Nothing comes from God. Nothing comes from God. It comes from <laughs> okay, us. Okay, what? Well, I mean, here, I mean, here's what I'd say about that. I'd say I'm doing a bad job a lot of times when I leave things up to myself. I mean, one of the reasons why I became a Christian was I realized that I needed something bigger than me to guide me in some of this stuff, you know? And what I realized is I'm a slave to anything. There's no such thing as real autonomy. None of us are really autonomous. We all are slaves. I don't think so. I'm positive of that. We're all, we're all, we're all slaves to something. We're, we, we, become a, we become servants of something. There's something that you ends up... You make choices up, every day. Right? And those choices... You may have choices that are weighted by your business or economics or your family, right. but they're still your choices. Yeah. And God is not changing why you make that choice. There's no omnipotent power lurking above you putting your hand on that choice rather than another choice. Well, you say there's not and you say there I is. Say there and is. So <laughs> right, right, right. I'll have to make a decision here like King Solomon. I'm going to leave it up to you. Nick, I'm leaving it up to you. Uh, well, I pretty this could be thesis and thesis. Yeah. 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 I, I agree with her. You know, just, yeah, there just, just because there's a Damn. supreme controller doesn't mean that you know we don't have choices of our own and you know have a responsibility to push on you know harder every day of course we do but you know but that doesn't change the fact that somebody is still controlling everything that in the in the bhagavad gita uh, you know krishna explains the material energy as the yoga maya energy which means illusion so material uh, worlds are completely you know made up of illusion and so as well as our minds so we are thinking we are the doer we are doing this we are doing that you know, I'm You're coming this. down on both sides of this argument now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, from the point standpoint of the Bhagavad Gita, you know. <laughs> First of all, you said we, that we, she's right that you have complete choice and that God chooses nothing, and well, now you're saying that we, it's all. We have this experience yeah. of you know we have this choice. We have this experience, you know, but that that's an I'm, I am choosing, but it is illusion. There is a supreme. So you have the best of both worlds if you believe in Krishna. Yes. 
You get to Always. choose. <laughs> well, let, let me say I believe in free will too, of course, right? Presbyterians get blamed for being the people that are the most deterministic. If you before you're asking that question, you know, and I think that's that's a that's a that's a myth. Um, I believe that we make free choices. All I'm saying is our choices are included in God's choices, and God's choices are bigger than our choices. So, so he's, he uses. It's, all desi- it's predesigned. You're, you you well, believe in predestination. I'll, there. I'll give you an example. Um, Joseph, just the story. I think story is the best way to unfold these things. You know. Uh, the famous story you probably all heard, no matter what our religious background is. You know, Joseph is the son who, of, uh, you know, of Jacob, who has 11 brothers. Remember, he gets sold into slavery, coat, coat of many colors, you know, okay, Donny yes. Osmond well, now, on Broadway well, or whatever, okay, right? Yes. The Mormon Donny Osmond on Broadway. But there's a musical about but, it. Yeah, a musical about it. But uh, anyway, he, he gets thrown in a pit, da 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 and it ends up being the very choices that his brothers make to hurt him end up promoting him in Egypt. Then later there's a famine. They come to Egypt to get food, and then he ends up feeding them at the table. By the way, which is back to my New Orleans kingdom thing. I can, I can bring it all back to the okay, table. It all but comes uh, back to food somehow. Every story in the Bible has to do with food. By the way, I can unpack every every story around food pretty much. But uh, but anyway, I yeah. wish I was your psychologist. The, the, <laughs> you sort of are. But, <laughs> but what happens is. At the climax of the story, they're at a table. He reveals who he is at the table, right? Mm-hmm. And because uh, he's in his Egyptian costume, he's a lot older now, and they don't expect him. And then basically, they are all scared. They thought, think he's going to get revenge. Now it's all been a ruse to get revenge. And he says, "No, no, no! You've been a blessing to me." And he says, "And he says, you know, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He he used the very thing that you did against me ah, okay. to bless you, to feed you, and to feed me. You know." And I think that's the way it works. Is we have these choices, even bad choices, are being used by God to you don't bring see, better. To me, that whole, that story has a whole different moral. Right. That he was such drinks? a good person. Oh, drinks really? anybody? <laughs> I recommend the Sazerac. You know, and, and <laughs> no, Nick, don't order You don't drink alcohol, Nick, do you? No. So I think we're good for now. Thanks. Okay. That the end of the story is that he was such a good person and took the better path right. of being a good person sure. despite all the evil that it yeah, but who defines in. good too I mean how do you know what's good and what's bad I think we all know that I, I think that's inherent in it Hitler's going to have a different good than you're going to no, have no. he's going to say he's going to say the good is putting people in ovens no I don't think like so like you and me I don't think that <laughs> no. I, no no I don't think so I think that people <coughs> I think we inherently know the difference between good and evil where does that come from if not from somewhere else it comes from all of us individually you would say yeah I think that that's, 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 that's all there is no as member of a community to bring it back to your, yeah. to your there, statement the, the as community member is, of a community you are given a standard by which to, to act that standard is the, def- the definition of good and evil. I know not to step on your foot. But the I definition know not of good to and evil. You. But your definition of good and evil comes from each individual person making a decision, inherently knowing what's good and evil because there's no common mystic. With our community. But there are communities that do things that I would think are evil because they're not of my culture. But that's not. Well, Ray, my, do you believe that good mine? and evil is God and Satan? I think. I think yeah. Okay. Yes, you do. I think she was finishing that. No, no, no. I, I was saying my tongue's all tied up. Oh, <laughs> no, no, it's not, no, I'm, I'm trying to be articulate. I'm just no, interrupting yeah. you. That's okay. Do you believe in, in Satan and God? That's good. <laughs> I think I don't think you can believe in God without believing that there's that there's uh, something opposed to it. Okay. Right? Yes, what about the, the what's the Krishna yeah. point of view on evil? Well, in the material world, everything is dual. You know, duality is in everything. So you know, two sides to the coin. So there's a there's a bad Krishna out there. Some of this Krishna and there's no, there's one Krishna, sa- but uh, but there's there a Satan. But here, where we are, there's duality. Krishna is outside of duality, so his, he's not yeah. But but Ray's talking about God and the devil, and and mm-hmm. saying neither of those two exist. I'm trying to get yeah. The so, sort of so there's a demon- Solomonic. 
a demonic nature and a heavenly nature, basically. You know, good and bad but contaminations. You know, and there's personalities on both ends of the coin. But so that's what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm not saying that there's not a devil making you just... The devil right. didn't make me do it. Yeah, I was a bad the, person. The dual nature yeah. of reality, yeah. right? No, I mean, I think we make all our choices freely. We, we make bad choices we want to. We make good choices we want to. I'm just saying that God is bigger than those choices and includes those choices in his plan. That's all I'm saying. Okay. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I came here and I talked about food instead of talking about whatever because that's what I wanted, you know? Right. I became a Christian on that day on the couch because I wanted to do that instead of something else. Not and because I, you were directed by some higher order. No, but I also believe, though, that, that you know, we see this anyway. We see, like, for, you know, I had a conversation with somebody today. Uh, I won't get into even details. though even though you're not working today today off. <laughs> no, well, this was a neighborhood thing. I got a oh, conversation okay. with somebody today, and we agreed on something. And he got me to agree. And he got me to to lend some support to something. Then after it was over, uh, one of his people called me to work out a detail about it. And then I found out something else that really his motivation for it was different than I thought. And I realized, in a sense, I'd been manipulated. But you know what? I wanted to be manipulated. You like know? Joseph I mean, and uh, <laughs> exactly. You what's know? his name? And so you know, so I made a free choice. You know, but at the other hand, there's other actors out there working. Even if you don't believe in God, you believe there's other personalities that are at work. You know. And, uh, of course, those things influence you, and, of course, those things play into the whole soup of the thing. I'm just saying there's a supreme being that's able to see it all and uh, is all-powerful and is able to act in it all. But that's when, when is the supreme being – when has the supreme being acted? Always. When? Like all the time, I think. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> seeing it. I'm only seeing the good that people can well, do yeah, but now, what, about, to overcome the bad things that happen well, that's world. one way of looking at it. What Nick is saying is if you chant Hare Krishna, Hare Rama, 1,078 times a day, is that what it is? Yes, you'll get to know him more. You'll find that life will change for you. Would you be prepared to do that? In great respect, no. <laughs> what, 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 what name do you call God? People. I believe there's the godliness in people. I believe in the strength of you as a good person, that you may be a bad person at times, but I would rather rely on your ability to be a good person. But what about a supreme personality, though? No, I don't believe no, in a no supreme person personality. In that position? No. Okay. I'm more comfortable relying on, on knowing that you, could, you are a good person or would become a good person than hoping uh, for intervention by a supreme being. Okay. But then you're saying if she would be prepared to chant Hare Krishna 1,078 times a day, she would learn the truth. Do benefit no matter what. You know what? No matter what you believe in. Yeah. Should we give it a shot? I'll, I'll, do, I'll it. do it. I'll do it. For how long do we have to do that it That takes for? a lot of time. Does it? We'll do it for a minute. No, no, no. no I mean, I don't know. It, it, it takes mean, three seconds to chant the mantra. Yeah, but no, I mean, how many, if we did 1,078 a day, how long does I'll it do take a you a day? Well, can you do it while well, you're brushing your teeth? That's roughly two hours of chanting a day. Two you know, hours? You know, by choice, because I, I feel the wow. power of the mantra. Well, know. would it be better wow. to do that's those two, would do volunteer work on those two hours? Is that more godly? You could do both volunteer work and chant Hare Krishna, or you can chant Hare Krishna while you're doing that's volunteer work. That's true, too. That's good <laughs> point. That's good point. <laughs> can you okay, chant Hare Krishna while you're brushing your teeth and watching TV? And <laughs> yeah, well, the idea is to get us more in, into a God consciousness, thinking about him all the time, and this is what, you know, really purifies. So it's a guy. Yeah, yeah. Krishna is a guy. Well, he, he is was a, a real he person. Is, he has balanced fem- masculine and feminine energies. Okay. Talking of balance and masculine and feminine energies, Mitch, how's it going? It's going very well, boy. It's been a fascinating discussion. I've just been sitting on the sidelines. I know. I've been trying to. I've been waiting. <laughs> well, for you know what? Because I, I feel like I could have the last word. I could summarize the whole thing. You can. From from my perspective, it seems like if we all just get a little distance from this it can can sort of all these attitudes can congeal and one i think it's a definition of what god is really that everyone's defining it and maybe there's some narrowness to it and if you step back and just see it as an all-pervasive oneness 
then it doesn't matter what you call it and what religion you actually call it. I think at the base of every religion, the, the meaning is all the same. And, and another thing was this whole good and evil duality thing. I, I think you think of it from an uh, Eastern perspective and yin and yang, kind of the good and good defines evil, one defines the other. And from a real, if you remove yourself from the narrowness of defining each, you see that they're all just contained in the one one thing. You can't have a good without evil. Where's the defining line? Really? There's the last word from the jazzer. Ah, the jazzer. The jazzer has the last word. The Mitch, jazzer we have to spoken. get moving. We've got time for a short song. You want to, you want to play right. a little song for us? I, I will. You know what? I heard someone mention that their mother liked the Beatles or their father. I forget who. Yeah, I so think I'm it was sp- Nick said his uncle Nick, likes the Beatles. Isn't isn't it? So this yeah, is for yeah. Nick's uncle. It's going to be a quick, I know you're short on time. It's going to be a quick version of Norwegian Wood. All right. Like. Okay, Mitch. There you go. Thank you very much. Thank you. Mitch Foreman on piano. Mitch, we're, we've run out of time completely here, I see. Oh, I really let things slide. I should have done a better job of keeping everybody quiet. But thank you very much for joining us. Nick, what are you doing? Are you here in New Orleans for a while now? Till after Christmas. And then what? Going to Miami Beach to distribute Prabhupada literature, spiritual books. Ah, really? That's going to be your calling from now on then? Okay, well, hopefully we'll get to see you again. Hopefully you're going to come back. You're going to come back and stay with your mama. She's in real estate here in New Orleans. It's a, it's a boom town now here. Okay. Well, thanks for joining us here on It's New Orleans Happy Hour Hare today. Krishna, thank you. Hare Krishna thank to you, you too. Thanks for What does Hari Bol mean? Hari Bol means chant Hare Krishna. <laughs> oh, Hari Bol means chant Hare Krishna, and Hare Krishna means praise God. Okay. Good advice. Ray Kanata, thank you very much for joining us as well down here at the Collins Hotel. Ray, I'm sure people would like to find out more about the man who ate New Orleans. We'll put a link to it on our website, but uh, if they want to go to it right now, say where would they go? There'll be a new sizzle reel up January 1st, but there's one now too at www.themanwhoateneworleans.com. And you are the man who ate New Orleans. I am the man who ate New Orleans. You haven't eaten all of it yet, though. You've still got a few restaurants to go. And and we'll we'll talk to you again, I'm sure, because we'd love to see something about when that film comes out. We'll have you back for sure. And Anne Esperides, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. Telling us something about growing up in New Orleans and uh, not having sex but knocking over flamingos. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much, you guys. We're live from the Collins Hotel at 3811 St. Charles Avenue. Check it out at thecollins.com. We have a link to that on our website 
as well. It's a beautiful hotel. It's a great place to come and have a drink if you're in New Orleans. It's a great place to come and stay if you're coming to New Orleans. Our show was produced today by Tanya Castellanos and Trish Kaufman. Technical direction by Mitch Cry. Our music director is Christian Under. If you'd like to be on the show or you have a band or you're an artist who'd like to be on the show, drop us a line at itsneworleans at gmail.com. Check out also our new show called Psych Ward, which is coming up pretty soon with Ross Shields. Check out our website for that. Um, and that's about it for Mitch Foreman on piano. I'm Grant Morris. It's New Orleans Happy Hour. <laughs>